Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. We're so glad you've taken the opportunity to avail yourselves of our audio sermons. If they are encouraging to you, or if you just want to make a comment, we'd love to hear from you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and leave us a comment. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you. Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. This wasn't part of my plan greeting, um, but I will say this. I have, since the last time I saw you, I have been to see the great cathedrals of the world. Um, We were in Westminster Abbey and in St. Giles Cathedral. We were in Christchurch Cathedral in um, Scotland, and we were at Down Cathedral, which is where St. Patrick is buried at, in the town called Downpatrick, and then we sort of ended our trip at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin, and wow, seeing vaulted ceilings and stained glass and Many of the things, one of the things that I really didn't expect, you know how I've talked about, why do we forget? Everybody say, because we don't. And over there, they have lived this out. Covering the walls of their places of worship are memorials to great things to remember. To events that happened, to battles. I was, uh, I was really impressed, uh, Andy, when I saw the, the battle flags from certain battles that have like been shot and and shredded in battles they were on the walls and they would show the names of the people that had died in the battle they were in and commemorate their sacrifice it was amazing but what i was going to say in all that if you want we can talk about all that is that to me as beautiful as it all was the stone and and the wood and and the glass and all that there's nothing more beautiful to me than this right here Because the the Bible says that the the body of Christ, that the church, is not wood, and it's not stone, and it's not glass, but it is the lively stones that God has built for His holy habitation. And the only thing that would be better than this, right here, is that if we could be in a cathedral. (laughs) That that might be better than this, okay? Uh, But if I could have either one, I would have you... And I would have this building that, you know, could use a little love and a little bit of help and a little bit of stone if it was going to be a little bit more beautiful. But uh, I would have this uh, any day over anything we found over there. The Bible says, He, the very first, became last. He that was rich became poor. He that sinned not took upon himself the sins of the world, and he bore our guilt. He who could have had the best life ever lived here on this earth was cut off so that we could have life more abundantly. Has He not been good to all of us? Can we say amen? Amen. The Scripture reminds us that we should be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another because God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. Amen? 
David understood that his pride and his sin were transparent to God. It wasn't as though God could look and not see that in David. He knew God could see that. He knew that God could see all he did and all he thought and all that he really was because he began to understand more about God than most. Understanding this should cause us to be confident, not in ourselves and in our flesh, but in God's mercy, dependent on it. And it should cause us to freely offer it to others as it is offered to us and has been offered to us daily. Can we say thanks be to God? David in Psalm 139 prayed this way. He said, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and Thou hast known me. Thou hast known my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts when my mind wanders afar off and I'm thinking about things. You're even there in those thoughts. Thou compares my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is just too wonderful for me. It's too high and I just cannot attain it. Whither shall I go from Thy Spirit or whither shall I flee from Thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven... Thou art there. And if I make my bed down in the grave, Lord, Thou art there as well. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall Thy hand lead me and Thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hides not from thee, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness as the light are both alike together to you, O Lord. For thou possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in the book of all my members they were already written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, and how great is the sum of all of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee, and surely thou wilt slay the wicked. O God, depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak evil and wickedness, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. O Lord, I hate them. Those that hate thee. I am grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with a perfect hatred. And I count them all my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And if there is, O God, lead me in the way that is everlasting. Isn't that powerful? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as David has so eloquently said in the psalm and has prayed, Lord, You know us. And in knowing us, Lord, You have not rejected and despised us as You were despised and rejected by us. Lord, we are thankful, Lord, that that You have invited us to come and we are here to worship You. We're thankful that once again You will speak to us and we will hear Your words and be changed. Lord, if we come hungering and thirsting after righteousness today, You will fill us and You will change us to be more like You. Lord, we ask 
for one more day together with you here on this earth. And we're thankful for it. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. standing with me for just a few more minutes as we read our text. We are um, in week number 40 um, of our study through the Gospels, through the life of Christ. And uh, I said it before, I'll say it again for emphasis. My sermon today is called Judgment Has an Order. Me first. Okay, everybody say it. Judgment has an order. Me first. All right. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with the measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thine own. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. Let us pray. Lord, we... I think all of us have an idea of what people who don't understand the scriptures think about this, but Lord, we want to, we want to know what the scripture says to us. And Lord, I pray that we would understand it and see it and that it would alter our lives, that it would change us, that it would write our courses, that indeed we could understand that judgment is certainly necessary, but it has an order and it should start with us. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Maybe seated. My children, maybe they're like your children, or maybe they're not, but they like to vie for the very best seat. They call, I call shotgun. Anybody's kids ever do this? You know, it normally happens when I'm not with mom, you know, and I'm with the kids, and and, uh, I'll see them, you know, we'll be leaving a place, and I'll see. Uh, you know, maybe one of the boys decide he can outrun the girls. You'll, when your kids get older, I don't know if you, this happened to you, but, but, and so I act like I'm not watching. And this is one of the little things I do to my kids. You know, I, I know they know it by now, but, but at first I was getting them. And so I, I'll act like I'm not watching and I'll slip my hand over and I'll lock the doors to the car. And the boy will run, and he'll beat the girl, and he'll grab the, the thing by the handle, and ah, it's locked. And I'm kind of a mean dad. And I and then I just kind of slip my hand over, and I roll the window down, and I'll go, I would like Rebecca to sit up front with me. And then, oh, man, you know. 
And that's my way of, of, of trying to discourage me first. I mean, the Bible says we're to each esteem others, what? Better than ourselves. And we're to put other people first. But, but in life, we want me first. You know, I want the first scoop of ice cream. I want the best, you know, me first, me first, me first. You know? But me, me first doesn't pay off well in our home. And the Bible teaches us that it's better. What's the Bible say? It's better to take the worst seat and be asked to move up to the best seat than it is to sit in the best seat and be asked to move to the back of the van, right? Something like that, right? Now, one of our catechisms in Foundation Church that has sort of developed over the year is that there's an order in the kingdom of God. Do you guys remember this? There's an order in the kingdom of God, and it goes like this. Everyone else and then me. But when it comes to judgment... Judgment has an order too, and that's me first. So every, all of us me first people, today's your day. Me first, me first. You got today's your day, all right? Uh, so let's read our text again, okay? Now, we could spend a lot of time, and we will spend some time, like I said in my prayer, uh, on what the ungodly think about this verse, because they do, they the ungodly, they know the Bible so well when it comes to this point right here. They're theologians. And uh, all of them catechize their children. They all know. How many have found every heathen you know knows this verse? And you know what? I just want to compliment the parents and, and those people that have catechized their children to be ready in the middle of them doing something wrong. Go, hey now, judge not. that you be not judged. I mean, you, you would think that they're proud of this catechism. I mean, they're letting you know they know the Bible, right? But it doesn't actually mean the way they use it. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, we, we, we need to touch a little bit on what it doesn't mean. Um, and how simple it is to burst the bubble of foolishness that, that many have put over Christ's words here. I mean, when someone tells me that the Bible says don't judge, that I always just say, well, you know, so why, you know, why did you pick this restaurant over the other one? They're like, well, you know. This, this one is cleaner, or this one's cheaper, or I like this one more. It's like, you know, you really shouldn't judge, you know. Because that's what they want it to mean. They want it to mean that we shouldn't judge. I mean, nobody should ever get dressed and look at what they wear. Nobody should ever, you know, uh, be trying to find a piano teacher. And, you know, if, you know if, if it's a guy with, you know, five-inch spike down the top of his head and 47 earrings in his ear, and, you know, and you're pretty sure he has a boyfriend. Well, you know, I picked him because I didn't really want to judge uh, because Mrs. Graham, you know, I don't, you know, I didn't want to, I, I like, I don't know if it would be right to say he's, he's not as good as Mrs. Graham to teach my children who teaches them for $7. Uh, yeah. Guys, everybody say, that's stupid. Everybody judges all day long about all kinds of things. And if Jesus meant don't judge, that would be the, that would be the dumbest thing he's ever said. And did he didn't have to say anything dumb. Okay. Judge not. I mean, when you go to drink, get a drink of water, if there's things floating around in it and food stuck to the side of the glass, you may want to judge that that glass is not the best glass to drink from. And you can send it out and get another one, right? You go to eat at a restaurant and there's food all Well, I don't really want to judge the dirty food on this food. I just should just accept it as it is. I'm like, I don't know whose dirt this is. I ain't eating it, okay? I'm, I need a clean spoon. I need it now. The exact word for judge 
uh, is rare. This word judge is rarely used in the New Testament. In fact, it's only used three times outside the gospel. Um, and I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'm not going to pretend I know how to say it. Um, but there are derivatives of this word that are used a lot. And of course, the word means judge or judgment, but it kind of carries a legal tone. Okay. And this is kind of what we're always ready to do. We are ready to have a legal tone. I, I, when I was, when I, when I saw that a woman was coming to the pulpit in Kendall Parish, I was ready with my judgment hammer. This is evil. This is wrong. This can't be. This is bad. This is, you know, and she shouldn't be here. She probably doesn't love God. She probably wants to usurp man's authority. She's probably one of these liberal women. She probably believes God's words. Not, you know what I'm saying? This is, this is what the, my evil heart, and you guys have them too, I'm pretty sure. This is what my evil heart wanted to judge. And that kind of judgment is wrong. And the Lord chastened me. And as I get older and, and, and I, I pray maybe a little bit wiser over time, I'm understanding what it means to not do what I'm always wanting to do. And I find that I really do this. And when God, uh, you know, turns the tables on me and whacks me upside the head over and over to not do this, maybe today will be a good day for you. Okay. Now, according to this biblical dictionary, uh, this word is like to sift and to to part, uh, to divide out, to decide a value, to to make a final judgment. You know, based really on all that you just happen to, you just notice right there, and all of a sudden you're ready to just make a judgment. You know. We're so wise, we don't need to hear the facts of the case. We don't need to hear the backstory. We just know it's wrong and it shouldn't be that way and it's evil. Blah, blah, blah. You know, Jesus is saying, this ain't the way to be. Well, he would never have used ain't probably, but uh, this is not godly. This is not the spirit of God within you should not cause you to be a person who's really sure all the time about everything. Who knows? They know. You'll find that as people, if, if, if any wisdom ever comes to people, the, the older they get, the less sure they are about some things. And they start to sort of rethink them again. And they're just kind of like, wow. I mean, I remember that I, I, I don't want to go into the opinions I had when I was younger, but they were so stupid. Having children reminds me how stupid I was. And it's not because, you know, they, they, they don't have brain cells. It's that they haven't lived their life and learned what wisdom teaches us the hard way. We get some hard lessons. And I remember God teaching me, and it has taken so much to teach me because I'm so thick-headed. The root words, we understand the words basically to assess, to resolve... Uh, as I said, in a legal tone. Um, now, one verse outside of the Gospels that uses the exact word in questions uses this. And it, sa- it says, um, the Apostle Paul says, It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human. You guys remember Paul is kind of on a discourse um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, it's a very small thing to me that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against me, but I'm not there 
by, I can't really acquit myself just because I'm unaware of the wrongdoings I'm probably doing. He said, I'm not aware of anything I'm doing, but I might be. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Paul, who was wise, who was an apostle, who of course had to judge many things, understood that a lot of things you really can't get a final conclusatory judgment on something until you've lived a while and you've watched and you've seen some things. Okay, There's nothing fancy to find here in our text, and, and I'll try to pronounce the word for judgment. It's like crino or something like that. It pretty much, you know, means what it means in English, and I got a lot of notes about it. Um, so obviously, it's not that we're not to make it, it judgments at all, and we know this because Jesus says in Luke chapter seven, verse forty-three, it says in His Word, it says Simon answered and said, "I suppose that to whom He forgave the most." Remember that He asked. He said, "The person who did, you know, who sinned a bunch, and then the person who hasn't done much." Which person do you think is going to love the most? And so he replies, I suppose, the one who was forgiven the most sins. And Jesus responds, thou hast judged rightly. So Jesus wasn't against him making a judgment. In fact, he was asking for it, right? He was saying, did you hear my story? Just based on what I told you, make a judgment. So Jesus is not against judgment. Jesus praises Peter for making a judgment using a form of this very same word. And the verse gives the meaning of the verb action and uh, illustrates what judge means. So clearly, there's something going on with this beyond, beyond just the, what you know people say, judge not. I mean, and it's such a, such a convenient phrase. How many have even used it yourself like the heathen use it? I have. You know what? You really shouldn't judge me. You know, right? Really? Come on. Um, but then there's, there's something right after it that's interesting. It's kind of like, if we're going to discuss, and we're not going to get in a great discussion about it, but there is, we are discussing order, so that's why I had the all of 1 Corinthians 11 read, because you know what 1 Corinthians 11 is about? Everybody say, it's about order. Okay? So, so you know, order is important here, okay? So, so here we have, in the thing about order, we have, it says, if a woman prays or prophesies with her head uncovered. Now, I just think it's funny... It's talking about her doing it. It's talking about her praying and it's talking about her prophesying. It's not saying if a woman prays or prophesies, she shouldn't be doing it. It said if she prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, right? So, so here in this verse, it's kind of like that. Jesus is saying not to judge, but then turns around. If, if he is saying not to judge, what he next says doesn't make any sense at all. Because he says... For when you do judge, you'll be judged the way you judge other people. Okay? So now Jesus has said not to judge, but then reminds you that when you do judge, the way you judge other people, that's the way you're going to be judged. Jesus was not saying not to. He was saying do not form these harsh, legal, certain conclusions that we are so ready to do. We meet the person and we assume we know just who they are. We assume we know what they believe. We we assume we know what God thinks about them. We assume these things. This is a temptation of all of us because we all think we're so wise. And humility isn't like that. Humility doesn't roll into the situation, you know, like like Don Knotts, you know, and go, I think I know what's going on here. Yeah, I got you all figured out. I know everything. 
Well, we all find out that Don Knotts, you know, or what is it? Barney Fife is not that wise. Okay, we know that. All right. So, it is this imperative that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 7 is a form of the golden rule. Uh, one commentator said it's the form of the golden rule on steroids. Okay. And, it's a, and, and they paraphrase it this way. It says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Instead, we have, quote, what do you do unto others is what is going to be done to you. That's what Jesus is saying. With the measure that you judge others. I was trying to, I've lately been in this pattern of, of trying to teach what I'm going to teach on Sunday. I try to teach it at my home and to see what kind of comes out of it. And so I'm asking my kids, I'm like, so if one of the kids is always harsh and is always hard on how bad all the other kids are, and then that kid gets in trouble, what's everybody rooting for? Are you rooting for mercy? Are you like, it's time that that stinko gets what's coming to him. He's tattled on me and he's done me wrong and now he's caught. I hope he gets the maximum sentence, right? Isn't that kind of what your heart sort of does? He's rough on everybody. It's time he's about to get his. With the measure that you judge others, guys, this is pretty frightening. You know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to be the nicest, forgiving, easygoingest guy. And I have not been that. And, it, and so I'm, being, I'm feeling some correction here by God. With the measure that you judge others, so shall you also be judged. And the judgment I'm worried about isn't necessarily what you would do, but there is a judge who I am very concerned about what he might do. Now, am I worried that that he's going to send me to hell? Absolutely not. I'm his child. But you know, there's judgment that comes to the house of God that doesn't come in glory that will come right here, right now. And I have been the recipient of my own, I have deserved everything that's come to me over and over and over again. God has not rewarded me according to my deeds. And can I be ever thankful for that? Now, of course, none of this matters for those who live under gracious forgiveness of our sins and redemption. For those blessed souls, as the commentator said, the lesson is whatever you did wrong against others was done, it was done to Christ. And that's a lesson that should be comforting and and disturbing to us. For with the measure that you judge, so shall you be judged. And with the measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. I mean, shouldn't that just cause everyone to just reassess it? And if, if not, it's because you haven't lived long enough to know the dumb things you're going to do. And you're going to do some whoppers. My wife and I watched a movie. We like to watch movies. We thought we'd watch a movie that was pretty and old and, and whatever, and we did. But man, I saw myself being very tempted. Story about this couple and they're in love and they keep having miscarriages and 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 they live alone in this lighthouse and 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 like their their life is good but now it's sad because they can't have children this is sad right everybody sad with them and they're alone she's having to have the she's giving she's struggling and it's just it's horrible they're sad 
He's been through difficult things and he's been through the war. And so this girl's like a bright spot on his life. It's like, it's like, it's like you want the story to be good, but she keeps losing these babies and, and they're putting him in little crosses on the side of the hill and putting their name on them. And, and like, art, my heart is breaking. And then a rowboat washes up on the shore and it's got a, a man in it who has died and a little baby who's alive. What do we do? What would you do? I couldn't have a baby, but God has brought me a baby in a boat. I can love her. I can be her mommy. Right? Now there's a lot to think about, but imagine being this husband and you, you struggle with what should I do? I mean, maybe this could be somebody else's baby, but then again, if we hadn't saved the baby, the baby would be dead and we're in the middle of nowhere on an island. No, no one's ever going to understand and see, and we can just love her and we can be her mommy and daddy and my wife's hurt and her heart is broken so much. I just, oh, she wants the baby. Can I just keep it for another day? His conscience is like, my duty, I gotta write down that we found this. We gotta maybe she's got parents who are looking for her. No one's looking for her, honey. Aren't we had it so hard? God, why could we ignore this gift from God? I mean, can, are you there with me, Tim? What do you want to do for your wife? I'm wanting to give her the baby. I'm wondering, I, I'm thinking God sent the baby. What's the right thing to do? We can get into that. But, but what you do sometimes in the situations, you don't always make the right decisions. And they're not always for all the wrong reasons. And, but when the day comes that you need mercy, and you need it from God and you need it from others, will you have lived a life of mercifulness? Will you be those blessed folks that are merciful? And will you obtain mercy? Or will people be like, well, you know what? He's always wanted to be right. And he's always wanted to be just so. And now it's not just so. And it's time for him to pay. Is that what you want? Is that the kingdom coming and God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven? Or is that, is that the person in the story you don't want to be? Jesus helps make this more clear. Verse 3. And once again, He's making a, he's, he's really telling us we certainly should have our eyes open. We certainly should be looking. The Bible says we are not only to bear our own burdens, but we are to bear whose burdens? Our brothers. Amen? The Bible, doesn't, the Bible tells us that when our brother's in sin and our brother's in difficulty, it's not that we're supposed to turn our head away. That's not being merciful. Being merciful is coming to them and going, you know, I can't let you do this because this is going to destroy your life. Now, I know I got 10 times worse of problems than you do, but I do see this thing and please, please, for your sake and for God's sake, please get this out of your life. Don't do it. It will destroy your life. That's being merciful, folks. So Jesus brings it up and he compares it in a way, once again, Jesus is using hyperbole. And, and every time I say it, I almost, I'm like, I'm afraid to say it, but here I'm not necessarily afraid. He says, why behold thou the moat that's in thy brother's eye, which would be compared to a, a little tiny piece of splinter in the eye, which we've all had some in our eye, but you don't consider the beam in your own. Now, no, nobody's ever had a beam in their eye, Right? 
I mean, I have a beam in my house. Never, never in a million years would I ever worry that the beam is going to get stuck in my eye, right? This is not, Jesus does not mean this, literally. He's drawing a comparison because, I mean, that thing in your own eye, it's so big, it's as big as a beam when you can see it that close, right? When it's in your eye, then it feels like it's this big. It's got to come out, right? The other person. So Jesus is using hyperbole here. He certainly doesn't mean what it sounds like he could be saying here. Nobody had a beam in their eye before. But he asks the question. He's trying to get to the, the heart of the matter. Why do you behold the little thing in your brother's eye and you don't consider the gigantic, enormous, ridiculous thing in your own eye? And this is what goes to the heart of the uh, every one of us because it's what we're prone to. I, I had uh, the story of David and Nathan uh, read because it's ridiculous. David has uh, committed adultery. David has committed murder. David has ordered people to be a part of murder and adultery and cover up and disparaging the name of God. And he hears a story about a man and a lamb. He hears a story about a man and his little pet animal. And when he gets done, he's, the guy's just going to die. And we look at it and we think it's ridiculous, but I'm telling you, it is what you're prone to do. You are prone to look at other people's sins and be infuriated and demand justice because of it, but your own, you're okay, you're fine with. I mean, here you are, you have a giant beam sticking out of your eye, and you're like, you know, I noticed, I noticed Jason, that you've got a little flick from your welding in that eye there. And Jason would just be like, I, well, I do. I appreciate the help. I mean, if anybody can relate to having something in their eyes. <laughs> Never has anyone in the history of my life had more things in their eye than Tim. And I don't mean that metaphorically. So Tim understands. The absurdity of the picture is the absurdity with, of us. It is the absurdity of human nature that people have issues. But, 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 but God, Jesus right here is just helping us understand that we, there's something we need to do first. Everybody say, me first. Before we can help others, it's kind of like the airline, right? Before you help someone else put their mask on, what do you do? You put your mask on and then assist your brother. I mean, it's, it's like silly. I'm like thinking, oh, come on, you know. I mean, the airline thinks it's so silly. They actually made this silly commercial that we saw. You know, this guy's spinning two basketballs on his finger uh, while the other guy puts his mask on. You know, it's, they're doing the Olympics, you know. And then, they, and then when you're done, put it on your friends and they put it on. So they're making fun of themselves. But, but there's, there's wisdom in that. You, you know, you can't help others if, you're, if, if you are a mess yourself, Right? So while you're starving, you know, from oxygen, isn't the time to help somebody else. You you need to get a little air. How will thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the moat out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in your own. Thou hypocrite. Now, we've been learning about hypocrisy, right? Hypocrisy is when we don't see our sin before we see our brother's. There is an order to judgment, and it is me first. There's an order in the kingdom, and it's everybody and then me. And we are, we want to have me first, but when it comes to judgment, we don't. It is not, it goes against our sin nature. We want so much to fix people. 
And I mean, the people being fixed, you know, they're not at the place where they're like, well, there's nothing wrong. Yeah, there actually, there is something wrong with me and there is something in my eye. But honestly, you have a giant tree trunk sticking out of your face. And it creates a really weird, really strange paradigm. Wow. I must have written the rest of this in my head. It's gone. Don't know where it is. God calls us to judge ourselves. We read it in 1 Corinthians, and I, I will go over this. 1 Corinthians 11. You know, Andy said, when I saw the reading, I thought you were going to teach on head coverings, and I was like a little nervous about that. <laughs> but I saw, I saw it as, as, we, as you were reading it. Today, I saw this whole chapter in a, in a different light, and it applied. You'll, you'll think I planned this out, but really, this is just God speaking to me. 1 Corinthians 11 is about order. And his, his point is not, you know, men, you know, we like men are this, and they're that, and they're that, and this is why they should be leaders. This is not what the, is Jesus is saying or Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 11. He's saying there's an order to be established, and in the kingdom of God, the order to be established is God has ordained that men would lead the church and that men would lead their homes. This is the order. And if you have, and he uses several examples, and sometimes people get caught up in the examples, you know? I mean, we were in a church that believed that that meant that if a woman cut her hair, she was in sin, and they kept using the term short. Well, we had these two twin women that were the godliest, sweetest, godly women in the world, and they had naturally short hair. These women never, scissors never touched them, but they had little, they they were Sister Rinsel and Sister Height. They married two brothers, and they were the godliest, sweetest, non-gossiping, good women, but they had these little short gray hair, both of them did. And every time they were talking about short hair, long hair, and I'm, and I'm not saying there's nothing to do with it, but this is an example, okay? Sometimes we get caught up in the example and we build a whole doctrine over it, but there's an order. He's saying, in the same sense, it makes sense, you know, that you know, he could have he used any example. Doesn't it make sense to you, you know, that the lion with the big mane and the, and the women without it, can't you see that God meant for the male lions to rule, you know what I'm saying? He could have used whatever, but he didn't. He used what he used. And he discusses covering and we're not discussing that, but he's discussing order because he goes straight from that order to the order of communion. Now, what is the order of communion? He's saying, you know what? There's a time to eat and that's at home. You do that. But when you come to communion, you need to put other people first. You don't come to communion and and wealthy and bring your fancy cup and, and come to communion and bring your fancy bread while the poor family in your church doesn't have it. What's wrong with you people? You're coming to church, you're getting drunk, you're eating a big feast, you're not thinking of anybody. You need to be other people where? First. And then he ends the chapter with putting the order of judgment. This is beautiful. He puts puts authority in the home in order. He puts the proper way to come to the table in order. And then he puts judgment in order. And at the end, and he says, do you know what? He says, when a man takes communion, he needs to examine himself. He needs to put himself first when he's coming to communion, right? Me first. What do I do? Me first. Not as in I take the bread and I take the wine and I take the best spot and I take the best stuff. Me first as in I need to examine whether I'm in sin or not, whether there's something between me and my brother before I come to God. God cares more about that than he does the pageantry of open public liturgy. He cares more about the personal relationship between people than he does that. And then he says, you know what? 
And then he puts judgment. And this is so amazing to me. I mean, I almost feel like, you know, like if I wrote this down, it would just be great. And he goes, you know what? Let me tell you the order of judgment. He goes, if if man would judge themselves first before they judge others. And he says, a man who judges himself will not be judged of God. Our life should be more self-deprecatory. Our life should be more humble. Our life should be less sure. And we should be less in, in, ready in, to discuss and to think on and to work on other people than we are ourselves. But that is not our tendency. We set from our lofty towers of of pride and we look at others and we go you know they could do this better with their kids and they could do this better with their money and they could do this better with their church and they could do this better with all these things and we sit back there all the while we got problems of our own and the more we're focusing on other people's problems the less we're becoming like christ and the more we're becoming like the hypocrites he hated and he preached to give. Now that doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. And that doesn't mean that he hates you. But what he's saying, Jesus is calling you and me. He's calling us hypocrites. And our response should not be to be sad. Our response should be, okay, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I mean, God's going to let this hypocrite go to heaven. I don't want to go to heaven like that. God's going to let this person, do I want to go to heaven an adulterer? Do I want to go to heaven uh, living like the blind people in the world who don't know Christ? No way. I don't want to go to heaven like that. I'm going. You see, introspection sometimes can be, and self-judging can be the kind of thing that turns out to where woe is me and I'm sad and I'm paranoid and nobody likes me and I'm not good enough. That's never where it's supposed to go. We come to the point where we see our problems and what it should do is it should humble us. And prepare us to help others. What does Galatians 6 say? Brethren, if a man is overtaken with a fall, you are your spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And then it says this, considering yourself first, lest you're tempted. Considering yourself. Why? So, so Andy and I got to go talk to one of you about whatever it is. And Andy and I should have a powwow about how he and I both do the same thing in another way and how we should feel stupid to go correct the guy, but we got to go do it because we love it. And if we come like that, Steve, are you going to take it better than if like, well, you know what? We've been living for God for a really long time and we know what we're talking about and we're sorry to see that you don't quite get it, brother. I mean, at the end of that, you're like wanting to go, you know, right? Humbling ourselves and examining ourselves should draw us to our knees. It should bring us to the place where we realize we need a Savior. It should humble us to the point where we can be benefit to other people. That's what it's for. So He calls us, yeah, yeah, it's, it's time for me first, brother. You first what? Look at yourself. Before you get angry with the people at church that didn't treat you the way they ought to, say, man, is there a hundred ways I could have done this wrong and... And, and have done this to other people. I'll tell you, I'll give you, I'll give you one. God has just whacked me so many times, but I'll tell you this. I've told you some of you this story before. I went to Russia with, with a giant contingent of these Church of Christ ministers. And the whole time, instead of reaching the lost, you know what they were doing? They were trying to save me. And I had served the Lord since I was a little kid, but I wasn't their brand. I didn't 
have their exact doctrine, and they would not leave me alone. Tim, it was driving me insane. And they were all over me. They're like, so what's the name of your church? I'm like, my church is named Grove Fort Abstall. They're like, oh, really? See, they have a doctrine. Your church has to be named the Church of Christ, because that's the only biblical way. And you can't argue with them. The Bible doesn't necessarily say uh, your church outside has to have a certain name and it included it needs to be the church of Christ. But they'll be, well, where else in the Bible? What do you ever hear? I said, well, I hear, I, I know the scripture well enough to know it's called the church of God. They're like, well, that would be acceptable too, but more particular, the church of Christ. I mean, they, they got it down. And they would talk to me about this and I would be like, oh, please leave me alone. And they would argue about whether we should be baptized in running water or not. Living water, you know, not not just a tank, but we go down to the creek, man. Because, and they would give this argument, and they're trying to save me. And I was just like, I was ready to scream. I, I, I literally, I at one point, I was on this bus, and they were all there, and they were like, they were working on me, and this, our trip was over. We'd been in three weeks in Russia. And I, I get up, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you, i got to tell you this, because I just, I can't die in, 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 without saying it. They're like, what? I'm like, if you people are Christians and you represent real Christianity, I don't want it. I want to, I want to turn away from Christ and Christianity if you're it. I just want you to know that you've driven me completely insane. You, you won't leave me alone. You make me sick. That's right. That's why I told them. And so, and, and they're all like, whoa, Robinette has, you know, he's really freaked out. We, you know, but you know what? The word of God does ruffle people's feathers. I mean, like, and I was just like, oh, Lord, tell them all. And I went to the people on the plane. I'm like, I don't want to sit near these people. I don't want to look at these people. These people make me sick. I've had three weeks of no heat and no bath. And these idiots who are supposed to proclaim Christ and they're they're psychopaths. And please, and they're like, oh, they're like, you know what? We have a seat on the bubble top of the of the 747 up top. You'll have a great view. You'll love it. And it's just open. You can go sit up there. And I'm like, ah ha ha. Good riddance. And I went up there and I'm sitting in my seat and I'm looking at the clouds and I'm like, you know, God's so good to me. I'm so good. And, and, and you know what? I've endured this and I've written about God and, and it's been in millions of papers and I just, God, you've used me in spite of these afflictions of the devil from the church of Christ. And I'm just, I'm just like, oh God, you know, and literally I was reveling in my own goodness. And then the Lord whispers in my ear and he just rocked me all the way down to, to to where I wish I could be every day. He said, you know, you belong to this church and your church believes that the way you believe is the only way. And you know, you believe all the people at your school that think they're Christians, you believe they're not Christians and you treat them like they're not Christians and you argue with them about your individual doctrine. And I was just like, And all of a sudden I realized I was, and I'm telling you what, they were not professionals like I was. I I was so much better at making people feel like dirt than they were. I was so smart, I was so better, so much better at arguing, and I was so much more right than they had ever been. That I was like the epitome of greatness. Of this thing that was so ugly and repugnant to me. Here I am. I am David who's mad about the sheep. When I've committed you know, adultery and killed and done all these things. And I'm demanding that God kills the sheep stealer. And I'm wanting God to exonerate the adultery murderer. And I'm sitting there on the plane. 
And I remember the Lord brought it to bear on me in such a way. I remember saying to the Lord, I committed. I will never, ever do this again. I will never debate the scriptures. I will never treat other people who proclaim Christ to not be Christians. I'll never do it again. And you know what? I think I did it less. And I pray I don't ever do it now. I'm I'm sure I may fall prey to that temptation or whatever. But I needed that. Maybe you need a dose of that today too. Because in the kingdom of God, there's an order. Everybody else and then me. But when it comes to judgment, there is also an order. And then who is it, guys? Everybody say it with me. It's me first. Let us pray. Lord, I used to live in terror of hell. And I used to feel so good that I wasn't gone and that I knew the truth and that I lived godly and holy. And Lord, I know if you didn't find it amusing, it certainly was made you sad. I, I don't know how your God, you, you, your thoughts are not our thoughts. But I was a fool then and I have continued to be a fool throughout my life and, and carried this same misunderstanding around with me. I pray today as I hear these words from Matthew 7 that you spoke to your disciples and those there on the mount. Lord, I pray they would have specific meaning for me and for everybody in this church. Lord, the one way that we can change the world is by saving the world from us, not from everybody else. And we can show forth the light of the gospel and we can be the merciful that obtain mercy and we can be the poor in spirit. I pray that you help us by your spirit to be that, that we would, we would not be known for the church that does it right and thinks they do, but that we would be known for those that love people that are humble, that are not necessarily so sure about everything they think, but are learning, that recognize the love of the Spirit in the hearts of those who are your followers, and we treat it with gentle care rather than the harshness of those autocrats that know everything to be certain in a certain way. Oh, I don't want to be that ever, Lord. And I know I have been. Lord, I just pray for all of us, for Foundation Church, that we would be a bastion of love and of mercy and of kindness, that we would love Your Word, but Lord, we would be sure about it and not about ourselves. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. This is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.